cold in here. Then why are you taking your jacket off? Because it makes noise. You're just getting ready for the underlying theme of this week's episode. Cold. Tarps off. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. You know, Farzy, coming into this season, you and I were super jacked up at the decisions from uh, general manager Mike McKenzie of the Kitchener Rangers when he went out and picked up guys like Liam Howell and Jacob Bingham. And it wasn't just because we were going to get to see some good hockey. It was because of what was on the horizon, the far horizon, and that was the lovely banks of Kelowna. You try not to say it out loud for fear of being the jinx to the team. But yeah, of course you are, because when you see a general manager push some chips in early, basically make a statement, hey, Western Conference, over here, contenders, come at us, you're thinking, okay, well, sure. And then you size it up and you think, yep. Saginaw, London might be in that mix and so on and so forth, but it's possible that you have your eyes on getting a little further than you did two seasons ago. And should you get that little bit further and somehow, some way come out of the Ontario Hockey League, you are headed to the beautiful interior of British Columbia and the city of Kelowna. Or are you? Ah. That's the question now. You see, we don't normally get that excited when it comes to moves like that, because you could be going to Red Deer or Shawinigan or maybe even Regina. I will say, I will say, having, first of all, attended this Memorial Cup in 2013 in Saskatoon, you're on point with Red Deer, Regina, etc. But give the CHL some credit. Maybe they were thinking about themselves just a little bit. Halifax last year, Kelowna this year, right? good little run. For championships. I don't blame them. What a city (laughs) to go to. I'm sure some people would throw Kitchener in there. You could throw a lot of cities in there that are not Halifax or Kelowna. Like, yes, please, please let me go out to the Okanagan again. And for work. (laughs) To watch hockey. (laughs) Work. In air quotes. Hey, go out to Kelowna and watch hockey. How many scouts do you think are going to be wine drunk the entire tournament? <laughs> well, <laughs> call spade a spade. I can tell you, we were all pretty much beer drunk in Saskatoon. <laughs> so I don't blame you one bit. But I bring this up because now the Kelowna Rockets are the host team. But there is talk of whether the CHL will remove them as host after... The season they've had, 3-11-1 since the trade deadline, under 500 hockey in the dub, and it all results in the firing of their head coach, Adam Foote, with, count them with me, 14 games left in the regular season. There are so many layers to this, this, that being one of the biggest parts of it, as far as I'm concerned. You've got, like, we personally bore witness to a head coaching change in Kitchener this year. Mm -hmm. And it happened 22 games into the season. 21, 7, 10, 2, and 2. That's what I was trying to do the quick. Anyway, 21 games into the season. You've got 14 left. You've played 54. You've played (laughs) 
six sevenths of your seat. Like, take your pick of how you want to look at this. I know. You have played a ton, a ton. You're over the three quarter mark, and now, now you're making the decision to remove the head coach, who also happens to be the father of your star player and your captain. <laughs> oh yeah. boy, Nolan Foot, the captain of the team, and it's not just having a bad season. They've been plummeted with injuries this year, have the Kelowna Rockets. Over 125 man games lost to injury, which is absolutely insane. At one point in January, they had seven guys on the shelf. Seven guys at once on the shelf. You can't win hockey games at that rate. And then how do you really judge your team? You want to, Some of these players, I'm sure, could have been trade assets when you're trying to go and pick up other players around the league, but you can't show them off because they're on the shelf. You can't trade them because they're on the shelf. <laughs> exactly. It, it's been rough sailing for the Kelowna Rockets, and now they have 14 games to make a push to see if they can get into the playoffs because history shows if you're a Memorial Cup team and you don't make the playoffs, how do you still qualify to host the Memorial Cup. Well, and one of the first things that will come to mind, I think, because it's the most famous example I can remember, is the Hamilton Dukes of 1990. And I think it becomes the most famous, not just because of how bad, how historically bad the team was before they ended up becoming the Guelph Storm, but that it ended up being such a win for the Canadian Hockey League. People will say to this day that, it was the 1990 Memorial Cup between the Oshawa Generals and Kitchener Rangers that put junior hockey on the map in this country, not just because of the personnel involved in those games. Hello, Eric Lindros and Freddie Brathwaite, just to name a couple. Shout out Corey Banica, who we see an awful lot around the rinks now. I don't think many people would regard him as a household name in hockey, but we see him as a scout. Great guy. Our buddy Mike Torquia and so many more on the Kitchener side of this, Joe McDonnell, who's going to be a future guest on this podcast and so on. But the venue was there. These teams, obviously, you had the star power in, in Eric Lindros. And the teams played a memorable seven-game OHL final, knowing that they were each going in to the tournament anyway, and so on and so forth. So that's the first one I think comes to mind for everybody. But you reminded me just before we started recording this week that there were two other times, right around that time, in 88 it was Shakutami that got the cup removed from under their skates, and the year after Hamilton had it removed from them, it was Beauport that had it removed. So the CHL seemed to have an itchy trigger finger, <laughs> late 80s, early 90s, but it hasn't happened then since 1991. And Or just a better selection process Maybe, now. maybe, but you know what? I, I think back, it, it, look, when the Windsor Spitfires hosted and won in 2017, they got bounced in the first round of the playoffs when Saskatoon hosted in 2013 they got bounced in the first round of the playoffs unlike Windsor which went on to win so they didn't win a playoff round that year but they won the Memorial Cup Saskatoon did not they were I would never go so far as to say an embarrassment but they certainly were the poorest or weakest team at the tournament they hosted that year and I think that's a it's a bit of a bad look for the league listen you can't predict how things are going to go. But I can tell you that from Kelowna in nearby Kamloops, they are some kind of angry because Kamloops is celebrating its 25th anniversary of its third Memorial Cup. They won in 
92, 94, and 95, the Blazers did. They put in a bid for this year's Memorial Cup, and the host of or the host, pardon me, the owner of the Blazers is on record as saying the league got this one wrong. They done messed up. We were the better bid, and we are the better team. And I guess we're just going to go in the front door now, anyway. But when you've got another team that put in a bid that is looking this good right now, you do scratch your head just a little bit. You do, and I think the main difference between those teams that you mentioned, like Saskatoon and Windsor, they at least made the playoffs. Yes. It's going to be extremely tight for Kelowna. They sit fourth in the division right now at the time of this recording with 52 points. The dub does their playoffs a little different than the OHL. The top three seeds of each division, which makes so two divisions in each conference, the top three seeds of each division make the playoffs. And then the next two teams with the highest record become wild cards. So you could have five teams from one division and three from another division make the playoffs. Right now, they are in a wild card spot. As long as they make the playoffs, they keep the tournament, right? Probably. Probably. Still under 500 right now. They've allowed the most goals in their division. And they've scored the second fewest. So let me ask you this, because it brings up the age-old debate in this league. Is it time to reconfigure things and reimagine the Memorial Cup tournament and do it without a host team? I wouldn't mind that. I like the idea of the Memorial Cup in that it's traveling. It's not in one location. I can get behind that. Um, But if you're going to have it, like let's say you give it to Kelowna this year. And it's just in Kelowna. That then motivates the Rockets franchise to say, we want to win the league because we want to be in this tournament if it's in our home rink. You take the host out of it, but then you're going to lose some fans. And that's the issue. Fans will go, we see it year in and year out. The fans out in Kelowna will show up more to the Kelowna games than when it's the O versus the Q. And that's where you run into the problem because you're not going to get your money's worth. And Lord knows, I'll say it, I don't care. It's a money grab anyway. Of course it is. The, and you need the fans there for the team to make good on the money they pay to host the Memorial Cup. As we're going to see here in the OHL, it's going to be the Sioux and Oshawa basically pulling out their checkbook saying who's going higher because that's who's going to get it, whoever bids the highest. I heard somebody try to argue with me. It wasn't you, was it? I don't know. Forgive Probably. Me. Just this brief aside, but somebody was trying to argue with me that this is Oshawa's no matter what, and somebody just asked the Sioux to say they were bidding. Like some jackwagon said that to me in passing over the past few days. It wasn't you. No. Okay. But I. I no, they prob- did. No way. Because okay. what, what I thought this person was being is far too dismissive of Sioux St. Marie. Don't, don't sleep on the GFL Memorial Gardens, for starters. It's a, it's a nice barn. It's a good junior hockey barn. And don't sleep on the city's capacity to host a major championship. I'm not at all. I'm, I'm not sleeping on either of those things. I'm sleeping on the team. Well, that, well, maybe. I'm sleeping on the, if you look at Oshawa's roster. Of course. But against that, the Sioux's roster. Yes. Next year, especially after this situation in Kelowna. With all due respect to our good buddy Jerry and everybody else, Kyle Raftis and everybody else up in the Sioux, do you honestly believe the CHL is willing to take a risk 
in the Sioux next year well, over the Oshawa Generals. You don't know yet, right? And you don't know... You can have a pretty good idea. Yeah, you can have a decent idea, for sure. And and the bid will tell a story. But listen, they are going to be bringing back a, a fairly heavy 19-year-old team next year. And we for know sure. if, there's a, if there's a Trader Jack in the Ontario Hockey <laughs> League besides <laughs> Roger Hunt, it's Kyle Raftis. Yeah. Right? So, I don't know. Anyway, I'm just bit of an aside that I think was just somebody was not I, I I think understanding that whether this is Oshawa's bid to lose or not Sault Ste. Marie is no slouch in this game and and they no. are perfectly capable as a community certainly of hosting the Canadian Junior Hockey Championship but back to where we started this before my tangent I'm with you on the host team I understand the arguments against it but I am 100% with you on what is essentially the necessity of having a host team because you need those home fans to at least ensure a good gate on the games featuring the host club. You just, you just need it. The real issue here is those Kelowna Rockets fans. And the Kelowna Rockets, in my mind, are up near the top of franchises in the WHL. Sure. They are right there. If you're fans of that hockey club and they put together an under 500 record during the regular season, are you actually going to pay the price tag that comes with a Memorial Cup ticket package? Well, the funny thing is, I think it's too late for that. If I remember, you would have already bought them and now you're sitting there going, how do I get my refund? Can I sell these things on Kijiji? Somebody take them off my hands because you can imagine how they are feeling the angst right now in the Okanagan. I took a quick Google, and the 2020 Memorial Cup ticket packages, taxes and fees included, to attend all six round-robin games, a possible tiebreaker. Let's say there's a tiebreaker, okay? Okay. Let's say there is. A possible tiebreaker, so that's seven, semifinal, and the final game. Yep, nine games is what you get. Yeah is $624.75. That is roughly a total of 70 bucks. Rain Man over there. Yeah. $70 a game to watch maybe your team, who was under 500 all year. To put it another way, $70 a game to watch the very best players in junior hockey compete for the championship. Uh, Very very best teams. In junior hockey. Right, but one would suppose that they are comprised of the very best players. More years than not, but yeah. there's there's still years where what I'm saying the best is, player in the league doesn't go. Connor McDavid never went to sure. a Memorial Cup. Great point, great point. I, I guess what I'm getting at is you will see a great, hockey. a great hockey and a large number of players who the following year will be playing in the National Hockey League. <laughs> it's an interesting but situation, 70 man. 70 bucks, though, that's a good point. I don't know what they do. Like... Even if they're a wild card and they get get knocked out, what do you do? Well, I say at this point, like we mentioned already earlier, as long as you get in the playoffs, you're not being stripped of the championship. If you don't make it, though, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Boy, oh, boy. And, boy, oh, and boy. Th- th- remember, too, that the city of Kelowna is still playing host whether it likes it or not. They, yeah. don't, they don't move the tournament, right? Hamilton was supposed to be the host. They, had to, they were stripped in 1990. Everybody just played there. So the, the city still remains, but the team is no longer. So if they don't make the playoffs? I say you take it away. You take it away? Of course. How, you so then what do you, so I, and I'm with you. Okay. So my question then to you 
is if you were to put on president of the CHL, sorry, commissioner of the CHL hat, what is the best plan to replace the team? You have to have a fourth team. Yeah, so the the two teams that compete for the Western the, Hockey League title. The dub, that's the dub, what you do? They both go in. That's that's exactly what you do. What if you have a better team in the Ontario Hockey League nope. or the Q? No. Nope. No? No, nope. it's the two teams in the dub. It, but do you think that's the right thing to do? Yes, because it's the closest thing to assuring a quote-unquote home crowd. It, yeah. it is, right? Because yeah. if, if a team from the O or the Q has a much better record or you decide... Hello, top 10 rankings, yeah. right? You decide it's a better team and you fly them out there. Who's going to give a tinker's darn about the uh, Halifax Mooseheads in Kelowna? If, well, you know, they're the second, so you got two Q teams out there. Forget about it. You have to have two dub teams. Unless it's somebody like Seattle and Winnipeg who wouldn't see Kelowna very often. And then all of a sudden, well, <laughs> you're like, the, and this where is, yeah. on earth is the home team? This is the roll of the dice you take when it, there is the ho- the automatic berth for the host city, right? It's it's the risk you have to run, but I still say it is a worthwhile risk. Look, this is not a good look for the league. I'm sure at the head offices, they're wringing their hands and they're scratching their heads and they're going, please, please, please just make it into the playoffs. This is embarrassing enough as it is, but we talked about three times. Three times in the history of this format have they had to remove the team from being the host. So they're doing all right. It, it's not going to feel good right now. You're going to have to rip off that Band-Aid. And, and hey, maybe, maybe what ends up happening is we get one hell of a story. Yeah. Chris Millette, the former Rocket, comes in and coaches the team the rest of the way as the interim head coach. And they go on some kind of run. I don't know, but uh, boy, oh boy, tough times right now. I got one more for you. Okay, bring it on. I'm ready. One more. How much money? Because if you host a Memorial Cup, it's pretty hard to break even nowadays. Oh, yeah. Right? How much money does the Col- or do the Kelowna Rockets lose? They, it cost them, or sorry, it cost Regina the year before. $3.65 million. Yes, but it was Regina where they got the... They did the big concert that made, like, they just spent a fortune on it. I'm just and saying, anyway, how much yeah. money do they have to lose? Like, and it must, I feel bad for them. I, I don't want to make it look like we're, we're taking shots at the Kelowna Rock. I think they are one of the premier organizations in the CHL. I just think this was an awful year, and everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. Anybody who goes into this bidding process now recognizes, and this is why we see so few bids today. This is why this is something the league will have to correct. This is the real black eye that it's become so expensive to host the Memorial cup that only a select few can even enter a bid. Mm -hmm. But given the state of economics in the game and what it costs to host this National Junior Championship every year. I guarantee you that the cities and teams that go into it go into it as money spent, period. So if it's $3.65 million, they're spending $3.65 million for the privilege of having the eyes of junior hockey on their community for 10 days in the spring. I see what you mean, and I understand that. It's not I'm, your money. Don't worry about well, it. Well, I know, but <laughs> until you think about that report that came out just a few years ago about how many of these teams 
don't make money in the first place. Yeah, but remember, it's not just the team that puts up the money, right? The city yeah. contributes the money, and there is an economic spinoff benefit and all of For these sure. different things. But, yeah, it, listen, it, and, and where there are private owners, unlike the community ownership model that's in place in Kitchener, whether they make money on their team or not, they have money. Mm-hmm. Even at this level, these are multi-millionaires. So nobody's going to hold a tag day for them. You're telling me Mr. Kerr in Mississauga has more money than he makes on the Mississauga steelheads? I'm telling you that Mr. Kerr in Mississauga <laughs> has a lot more money than oh. he makes on the Mississauga steelheads. <laughs> I see. Speaking of Mississauga... The host of those 2011, that 2011 Memorial Cup. We caught up. They're not, they're not hosting this year. They were making a nice run towards Sudbury in the Central Division. That's kind of fallen off as we get into the home stretch of the season. But Chris had a chance to catch up with the head coach and general manager, one of three men in the league right now in the Ontario Hockey League that holds both roles. James Richmond and the Poper in conversation before a recent game at the Auditorium in Kitchen. Coach, team's been uh, buzzing as of late. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, I just think since uh, middle of December, they've figured it out. We've tried to stay patient with them as coaches. We're pretty young, and uh, they believe in each other right now. They're playing hard for each other, and uh, you have good success when you're playing like that as a team. When you say figure it out, we hear that a lot. What does that mean? Uh, it really comes down to the fact, uh, are they believing the coach's messages <laughs> or they're not believing the coach's messages? And, and sometimes when you get young guys, you know, nobody wants to go out and lose a game. Nobody wants to go out and make mistakes. And we as coaches try to teach a certain way to play, whichever way. Macker's teaching his guys a certain way. We're teaching our guys. And sometimes there's pushback from young guys. You know, they, they want to do it kind of their own way. And then they realize that, hey, wait a second, we have more success when we all do it the same way as opposed to I'll do it my way, you do it your way, and hopefully we have success. Because they're all skilled and talented to play in this league. So it's just when they figure out how to play together and what works for them, then they have great success individually as well. Each coach has that individual style that you mentioned. What is the James Richmond style? Uh, that's a question to ask the players, <laughs> I think. Um, I you know. I like to think of myself as as a player's coach. Uh, I think if you ask them, you know, I'm pretty hard on them in the sense of what I expect from them. But if I didn't, then that means I'm holding my players to a lower standard. And and uh, I I really really like our players as individuals. I really love our group. So it's uh, you know I, I, again I I just demand a lot from them. I expect a lot from them. At the same time, I know they're going to mess up here and there, so it's uh, just take it and, and be patient with them and, and know that they're going to be okay. You mentioned players coach. There's an adage that the player nowadays is different than the players from, say, a decade ago. Do you believe in that? 100%. <laughs> I was coaching a decade ago. so I wasn't going to age you. <laughs> yeah. So it used to be when you... Uh, When I started coaching pro over in Europe, when we gave a player a contract, their first question was, hey, you know, what what can I do for the team? How can I help? And then it changed to, okay, yeah, what can I do for the team? And, and, you know, what... What a, what's going to be in it for me so so a little bit is like that now and, and they all want 
the answer so quickly and sometimes it doesn't come quickly to them uh, they're used to hitting a google button and getting the answer when when uh, maybe a generation before this we had when we went to university or did high school papers we had to go to a library uh, and actually look for books and read through the books and find those answers so when they come into sports hockey uh, they want those answers googled they want it right away and sometimes it doesn't come right away for everybody you have to work on it you have to keep going over and over and over and then it's like ah oh, I, I finally figured it out so uh, you just have to, I think we just have to be more patient with them and I, I think I was talking to somebody last week about the popcorn scenarios you know you, you throw the kernels in the pot it's the same pot same oil same heat and they don't all pop at the same time so as a coach it's easy to lose patience and give up on those those kernels that don't pop but if you just wait a little bit they will so uh so that's what i'm trying to do with with our players right now so is that one aspect of your coaching style that may have changed since coaching pro in europe a hundred percent yeah hundred percent you know it was uh, back then it was like hey you're either playing or you're not playing it was you know you're either good or bad and and now it's you know especially being back home now for as many years as i've been home uh i see it and you've got to allow the player to fall down pick him up brush him off and get him back out there and, and help them figure it out um, with video and, and, and some individual talks but they'll get there I mean if if they're a good kid and, and they're working their butts off they'll get there they'll find a way what do you take away from your time over in Europe because here in Canada we're so set on the OHL then the American Hockey League and then the NHL what do you take away from your time over in Europe uh, well you know what we did a lot of development stuff over there, and then that's what I brought back here. Obviously, I had some time with L.A. as a development coach, and, and they work on a lot of individual skills a lot. So I think now what we try to do in Mississauga is do individual development sessions every day with our guys, and some guys may need to focus on one thing, and the others need to work on other things. So we try to work on individual skill development with them every single day. And then we can ask them to play any system we want, structured, you know, because the more skilled, the better the player, the better the player, easier it is for them to play any system you want. So that's that's main, mainly our focus. You're now one of three people in this league that wears the dual hat as a GM and head coach. How difficult is that? Uh, it's as difficult as you want to make it. We've got I've got great people around me. Obviously, my coaching staff, and then Mike Doyle helps me out with the, with the GM side. Jeff handles a little bit of the, uh, not a little bit, he handles all the uh, billeting and the, the academic side of things. So um, it's as difficult as you want to make it, but at the same time, you know, there's only 20 teams in this league. So to be a coach or to be a GM in this league, uh, it, it's a pretty high honor. So I look at it as, as like that. and. Uh, I pinch myself every day because I get to go to the rink as, as my job, and uh, I'm happy for it. Macker's doing the same thing right now, and, and George's doing the same thing in Guelph, but uh, it, it's it's not as... It, it's more time-consuming than difficult, so you just got to make sure that uh, you manage your day properly. When Mike McKenzie took over as head coach, did you give him a call? Any tips on wearing the two hats? <laughs> <laughs> well, Macker and I have talked uh, quite frequently, and super guy and he's running a great program he's got the kids playing a great brand of hockey so um he was a winner as a player you know and and he he was always a good gm 
and uh, I didn't think it was going to be too difficult for him to take on that coach's role, and I'm sure he would say the same thing. He's got, we don't do anything by ourselves. You know, you have to have a good uh, support system around around you. Uh, I know he does, and I know we do here, so it's, uh, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy to see uh, what he's doing, the success he's having, and, uh, you know, we just got to keep plugging away. So, Popper, you were at that Memorial Cup in 2011. Uh, I was at the OHL final. I OHL didn't actually final. make it to the Memorial Cup. The OHL final, and, and we talked about it being the Bayshore South in Mississauga with the Owen Sound fans traveling mm-hmm. en masse down from Gray County. This Mississauga team looks like, I mean, Oshawa, we already talked about on this episode of the podcast, is is loaded for bear and is going to be a strong bid on and off the ice. But that Mississauga team, pretty sneaky good next year. I'd say. I, there's a lot of talent there to be had, I think, for JR and uh, everybody going forward into next year. It's a bit, they're a hard-working team. They're not the most skilled guys, but I think with a maybe an addition or two up front, that hockey club would be pretty good. You're going to lose out on Harley Thomas slash Thomas Harley. Well, and I was going to say, say that to James Hardy, too, and Kean Washcrack, yeah. not the most skilled True. guys. They got some. They got some hands. They do. I just mean when you look at the league right now, sure, they're probably not guys that are going to slot in your top ten scoring, right? So it was in a, the OHL. I just I, want to point out, I was interviewing um, a player and it, for Mississauga at the odd, and James had saw me interviewing the player. So then I come walking down the tunnel afterwards, <laughs> and I kind of look at him and I nod my head and standing around grabbing my bag. And James goes, "Do you want to talk to me?" <laughs> sure. Yes, I do. He's when you look at him, he seems like a, an intimidating individual. I shook his hand because this this was the recent Mississauga game in Kitchener a couple weeks back, and yeah, he dude's got a grip, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. And he just has that stern look. Yeah, um, but couldn't have been a nicer guy. Looked dead in the eyes the entire interview. Real relatable. I love some of his answers. Uh, he could be a long form guy. We get on this podcast. Going back to that Memorial Cup too. Really funny story. I don't know if I've told it on the podcast before. Uh, or that OHL championship. One Sound wins in Mississauga. Yeah. I'm out on the ice after, taking pictures and doing interviews and stuff. And uh, then all the players and everybody goes to the dressing room. Well, me and a couple media members are following him behind. And the OHL media guy at the time, he just says, yeah, go on in. You got your press. And, yep, here's my pass. Go on in. Mark Reeds hasn't even made a speech yet afterwards. So the, he... There's like five or six media people in the dressing room. I'm talking to the goalies because they had the three-headed monster back then. Uh, Stager, Bennington, and I can't remember the other one. I apologize. Regardless, all of a sudden, Mark Reeds calls for the room, and there's media members in there, and he's given the congratulatory speech as the head coach of an OHL champion. And then all of a sudden, someone goes, what the F are the media doing in here? (laughs) And I'm I'm there as like a young kid, you know, trying to cut my teeth in the business going, ruh roll, get me out of here. <laughs> I should not have been there. You were in the right place at the right time. I guess so. And I got some I got some great audio that I use for school. But yeah, it was, uh, it was I, I thought, I see there's now a process to these things. You don't just hop into dressing rooms out of nowhere. But the media guy let me in. So I'll take it. I thought I was going to get in a fight. When the media guy let you in, how much of the speech did you hear? Did you get, and is that the audio that you used later? Great question. Don't remember how much I heard. <laughs> um, and no, I did not use any audio. I sat there because I realized I wasn't supposed to be in there at this point, And I kind of 
snuck in behind one of the goalies who was wearing a lot of equipment trying to hide. And, I mean, I've always been a big lad. I don't know how well I was hiding, but (laughs) it was very awkward for me, I will say that. Well done by you. Yeah. Well done by you. So in that entire 2011 OHL final and Memorial Cup, Mm -hmm. as intense as it got, did you did you see a fight in the stands? No, you didn't. I don't think so. Those Owen Sound folk they're they're rowdy, but they don't fight. Michael Zador, that was Thank the third you. goaltender. Thank You're you. welcome. I, yeah, I know. I could have sat here and thought about it forever. You'd think that if there was a fight in the stands, it would be between fans Kitchener of the London. opposing teams, right? I suppose maybe it those was. are my teams. If I were to pick Kitchener London, would be fight. Yeah. When when you're in London, apparently, if you're a Kitchener fan or a fan of any visiting team, you can't get a seat anywhere near the London fans. They stick you up in corners around all the place. <laughs> I don't blame them. 9,000 people in there. I know. We had a great crowd when we were in there this past weekend. Lively. Kitchener, London, the fans were so into that game. Yeah. It was awesome. That's anyway. what happens when the refereeing is terrible. Wow. That just came out of nowhere. No. I think it was pretty well known by 10,000 people. The fans certainly <laughs> let the crew know it that night. I bring up fighting in the stands because I think uh, we'll let our buddy Manny Pava, uh, who calls games for the Windsor Spitfires, he, he puts it best. So just have a listen to some audio of Manny trying to call a hockey game when a fight breaks out. Windsor in Peterborough. That's the one. Now Thomas in the right wing corner. Kirk in the slot. His shot blocked in front by Perbu. And you can hear the fans cheering. Because a fan has been kicked out by the police. This is amazing. Fans are still screaming at each other here. Here is Thomas. Plays it off the boards and gets it out of the Peterborough zone. It's Rafkin in his own end. Oh, the cops are... Oh, now there's a fight! Now they're throwing! We've got a fan brawl here right in front of me. Play continues on the ice. Polka, left wing corner, trying to throw it out in front. Play continues on. Referee is saying play on the ice, even though we've got a brawl in the fans. There's a chance they score. Luke Polka scores. And half the building doesn't even know about it because they're looking at the brawl in the fan section behind the Peterborough bench. But the captain, Luke Polka, has scored, and it's 1-0 Windsor. Unbelievable turn of events here. I believe the word you used on Twitter at underscore Chris Pulp, I'm at Farwell underscore OHL, by the way, was idiot. If you go to Sounds a game like and you get into a fight in the stands, you are an idiot. I'm pretty sure that's the word you use. That's pretty much vernacular of what I just said, yeah. yeah. Um, and I stand by it. You are an absolute idiot. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts. You're an imbecile. You should never be allowed inside another sporting event. Because if you are going to... I don't know what happened here. And I said this on our broadcast. If you are a fan getting into a physical altercation or even a verbal heated confrontation with another individual because they cheer for another sports franchise, you are a moron. It doesn't matter whether it is hockey, baseball, football, basketball, lacrosse, soccer, you name it. Rugby... I don't care. You're going to put soccer in there because we know the hooligans. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You're still an idiot. I know. I know. You don't get in a fight with another individual because he supports a certain sports franchise. Here in Peterborough, I think this is a one-off. 
where this guy showed up looking for trouble? Was there drugs or alcohol involved or mental health issues? Maybe. Maybe. Not an excuse, but I don't think this is a typical Peterborough Pete's fan going to the game and thinking to himself, I'm going to go get in a fight with someone in my section in the first period. This wasn't after the game was blown wide open by the Windsor Spitfires. This is early. This guy came here with a purpose. And if I am the police officer that was there who was trying to escort him out before he ran back down the stairs and sucker punched another person, the person didn't even see it coming. It was a full board sucker punch. That person should get the book thrown at him legally and should never be allowed in a sporting event in Peterborough or any other city because you are an idiot. Wow. That is a stiff penalty. No more sporting events for you. No. And it is a stiff penalty. Peterborough lacrosse is huge. Yep. You look at the banners up in the Peterborough arena now. They have them all along that one side across across from the, or sorry, above the benches. And most of them are lacrosse because they have the pizza along the wall and they're going to hang the, the lacrosse ones. Lacrosse up there is massive. You should never be allowed at another sporting event. Sadly, and and again, like earlier when we were talking about the Kelowna Rockets woes and the Memorial Cup and is it going to be stripped from the host club, it's rare. What we are talking about is rare. But I have to, I have to wonder just a little bit if this isn't kind of where we have evolved to or even devolved as people because you know as well as I do that going to an opposing team's arena or stadium, whatever the case may be, wearing your team's colors can be a risky proposition. It might not end up, it might not end up in full-on physical violence, but it can certainly be a less than comfortable experience. And it should not be that way. Even if, like, listen, you want to go and you want to, you know, cheer your team and, ah, we got you on that one. But and that you should be able to, is what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be vulgar. It doesn't have to be in your face. You suck, all this stuff. Just enjoy it. Have a little bit of fun. It's a game, mm-hmm. right? But we have, we have gotten to the point now where we take it so damn seriously, so damn seriously, that it becomes... You are my sworn enemy because you cheer for the other team. And listen, as a guy that truly loves his beer, I love my beer. I'm going to point the finger at alcohol playing a role in this. You're either boozing at the game or you pre-boozed and then continued to booze. That plays a role. And I don't ever want it to be taken away from the game experience because I'm just as much a fan as the next guy of sitting down with a beer and enjoying pretty much anything. You can do it at the movies now. I'm all for it. But I'm getting to the point of saying, this is why we can't have nice things if nice things are beers at the game. Well, I think there's always that bad apple, right? Like, it's not beers at the game. It's some person abusing those beers, just like anything. You don't know. This guy could have been doing tons of drugs before he got in there. This guy could have had a mental health issue and had a bad day and the wires crossed. You don't know. I just think that you mentioned that wearing your other team's jerseys can be like a hostile environment nowadays in sports. I don't mind that. If I if I wear my Detroit Red Wing jersey into a Colorado Avalanche arena, I'm expecting it. Yeah, but expecting I'm, what? Well, this one this one I'm getting to. I expect. I don't mind though. Like somebody getting heated and being like, you know, 
suck on that. Woo, what I call you suck. I got no problem with that. Of course. It, it's part of it. Because you know when Detroit scores, I'm, I'm going to stand on a table. And, you know, I'm going to have some fun with it. But you expect that. But the reason people are nervous to do it now is because of these idiots that take it too far to the physical altercation. If you can't go there and get chirped and the odd F-bomb at you, whatever, that's part of the fun. I remember going to a Red Wings game in Buffalo a couple years ago in college. And this one guy, he was well into his beers, of course, young guy. There with his dad. We were walking out after and the Red Wings won, and he's just giving it to me. And I mean giving it to me, and he won't stop. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just smiling. I, I, I deserve it. I got no problem with it. Sure, I'm in an opposing barn. But then he st- I'm not saying anything to him. And then he starts getting aggressive, and his dad had to hold him back. And my buddy who I was there with, one of my university roommates, he knows how much I love to chirp, and he knows I'm pretty quick-tongued from my days in the junior hockey world. And he goes, are you not going to say anything to this guy? And I go, he's already said enough for all the degenerates down here in Barfalo. <laughs> Way to make friends, Popper. Way to make friends. But that, that drew some laughs from everybody because everyone's understanding it's a game. And if you're passionate about a team, good for you. I love fans with passion. Just remember, though, there's this little thing. And if you don't know, I'm sorry for telling you. You don't have any effect on the game. (laughs) (laughs) You have zero effect on what happens in the game. Just enjoy it, man. Just enjoy it. I got to disagree with you to a point there. There have been studies. There is such thing as a home team advantage. There is. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. But you you don't have an effect on the game because you wore the right jersey (laughs) or you didn't wash it since the last loss or something like that, right? That's not effect. But there is... Anyway, you don't have an effect on the game by punching out another fan. Amen to that. A buddy of mine was at a Bruins Leafs game. He's a Leafs fan and wore his Leafs jersey. And on his way out of the arena, put on his jacket to cover the jersey because some guy wanted a piece. And I think Boston had won the game, if I remember the story correctly. But anyway, that's how bad it got for him. And he's no slouch, you know, and he's also not a guy that would have been bringing on or, 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 trying to incite somebody else. So I, I don't know about it. You know, the, it reminds me, though, as we're talking about this, the dumbest thing, truly, like I look back. There's I, something dumber than what we just heard? Well, no, no. <laughs> I'm just thinking about things that I've done. Oh, okay. And, and I did this deliberately to incite, but you know I'm a Leafs fan when mm-hmm. we're talking about NHL teams. And so I'm going to a game in Ottawa, but it's not a Leafs game. It's just I, I've got a buddy in Ottawa. We're going to go see uh, a 67s game, or pardon me, a, a Senators game. And I made and wore a T-shirt that said, Daniel Alfredson sucks <laughs> to a game in Ottawa. And people loved it. <laughs> I'm walking around the concourse. They're like, where'd you get that shirt? I love that shirt. And that's your captain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's just funny. And I said I this guess. on the air. The you suck chant or like chirp to a professional athlete is my favorite thing in the whole world. Poor Nick Marcakis one time at the Jays game. Me and a couple of buddies sat out in right field, and we had a few pops. And every time he would come out or go in, hey, Marcakis, you suck. <laughs> every time. Because I think it's just a funny chirp. They don't suck at all. He's paid millions of dollars to play the sport he loves. He's one of the best in the world at it. And here you are, me, 
I'm talking about me myself, overweight bald guy on the stands who's paying ten fifty for a beverage, <laughs> telling him he sucks. It's true. I just think it's great. How much did you pay to see me today? <laughs> That's one what, of my favorite, yeah. right? One of the best comebacks. Absolutely. Hey, you bought a ticket to watch me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, let's continue the theme because you and I threatened to have this conversation quite some time ago, and it's high time we got into it. We've left it kind of on the cutting room floor for far too long. We got into it during one of our broadcasts. We, we disagreed fairly seriously about an instigator call in one of the games that we were broadcasting, and it brought up this whole thing about the instigator rule and how dumb you think it is and whether or not it's working. Colton Kammer of the Sarnia Sting uh, was assessed a one-game suspension for his third instigator of the season. We already saw this happen to Arbor Jackeye in Kitchener. And then the suspensions kick in if you have a fourth fight now. So you get your one-game suspension after three instigators. You have a fourth fight, and you are the instigator. And you get a two-game suspension, and it continues to go from there as the league tries to cut down on on fighting. But you, you are fairly firmly against the whole instigator thing. No, not the whole instigator thing. Okay. Just how liberal they are at handing it out. There was a game, and if I remember correctly, Arbor Jacki was destroyed from behind on the half wall with like three seconds left in the game. Maybe 30, whatever. He's destroyed from behind. He then gets up, skates 10 feet, embraces the player that hit him. They both drop the gloves, and they fight. That is not an instigator. You could make a case, and I would make the case, the player making the hit is the one that instigated the fight. They went face-to-face, dropped the gloves. That's There's no instigator there. The instigator rule is meant for when you're coming across the middle, I crank you, your defenseman drops his, your gloves, his gloves at the blue line, skates 20 feet, grabs me, I don't want to fight, and beats the heck out of me. That's the instigator. Not... Two guys looking at each other being like, yep, let's go, and dropping the gloves. It was a terrible call then. We see it way too often. Every fight does not need an instigator assessed. So you're almost all the way there on this, but you're just a little bit off. <laughs> go because, figure. Well, what you're, see, here's, here's the problem. What you're forgetting in this, because I, I agree with you. I agree with you that in the situation you just described, the person that laid the hit from behind, the dirty hit, the, the hit that led the other guy to drop the gloves, you could argue that he's the instigator, okay? But it begins to break down your argument on the instigator rule in general because you're forgetting why it was implemented in the first place. The reason the instigator rule exists is to cut down on the number of fights that happen, period. Yeah. So... Is there collateral damage to the implementation of that rule? Yes. For example, if Arbor Jacki had not gotten back up and punched the guy that hit him from behind, then the collateral damage is this guy hits somebody from behind without paying the price, as we like to say. And we see a, a fair bit more, as, as much as I acknowledge I'm sounding like Don Cherry here, but we see more of that chippy stuff 
sticking stuff. You hear guys talk about this in in youth sports all the damn time yep. because of the fighting rules or the lack that you're not supposed you're not allowed to fight. Not period. Allowed to fight. So guys will tell you to come out of the O and go play university hockey. They say it is nasty. There's stick work all over the place, right? So that's the collateral damage. But as a rule designed to eliminate fighting, the instigator is working like a charm. Fights are down 49% since the league implemented the ban after three games well, and or after three fights. That's, but that's separate. It's that, not, though. No, but it is the, separate. The, the, you have three fights a year, right, before you get the one-game suspension. The third instigator is something completely different. You can have three fights that you weren't the instigator on and still get a suspension as long as you were instigated against. When you're instigated against, so if I, if I get an instigator penalty on you and you and I fight, that fight doesn't count for you. Right, but the fact that fighting is down by but, almost half right. because of these rules indicates that the instigator rule and this three-fight maximum is working because people, players, are thinking twice before taking the step of dropping the gloves. I think the three-fight rule is working. I, I've come around on it. I've accepted it. Sure. I think it should be probably a little higher in a 68-game season. I agree. They started at fine. 10, went right down to three. Yeah. I, I'd be fine with a five or a six. No problem with that. But where it is at three, I understand. I get it. Okay? It's the instigator one. And I don't, I'm, I don't even care about the suspension. It's just the fact of how liberal referees are now at just calling an instigator. There is not an instigator in every fight. There isn't an instigator, I would say, in most fights that we've seen this year in the OHL. There's not, The instigator rule is in place for when one person doesn't want to fight. That's what it's meant for. And far too often you see two players square off, drop the gloves, and go, and it's the guy that came over or skated the furthest that gets an instigator. That's not instigating a fight. We just saw a fight in Hamilton this weekend, Family Day. Yep. Axel Bergfist of the Kitchener Rangers, Isaac Nurse of the Hamilton Bulldogs. Hell of a fight. No instigator. Yeah. Yeah. When was the last time, though? That, that's what I mean. The majority of fights we see get slapped with an instigator. And you're telling me in that fight, a referee or a linesman didn't pick up on one of those players saying, hey, Let's go. Well, but that's, that's good an instigator. Then. Okay, but that's, that's good an instigator. Then that the officials are using some level of discretion in all of this. Well, that's because it was verbal. It wasn't the physical or the skating over where everybody sees. Because if I smoke you at center ice, your D comes over to defend you. All of a sudden, that's an instigator. That's not an instigating penalty. It's terrible. No, but it is though. That's the very it, definition of the rule. But see, well, see, if your def- like if your defenseman skates over to me and we're face to face and I see him coming. And we look, and we do the old shake of the hands, drop the gloves. That's not an instigator. Instigator is, I smoke you at center ice. Defenseman comes, I start skating away. He drops his gloves and starts throwing. That is an instigator. That's a whole other kettle of fish is what that is. Well, it's true. If I don't want to fight him and I'm just sitting here cross-checking and he drops his gloves and beats the pound out of me, I'm trying to keep the language soft here. I get it because it's it's tough when you get into these kinds of conversations. It just drives me nuts the, the... the amount of instigating penalties we see on altercations that there wasn't an instigator deserved. I'm In your f- opinion. Yes. Yeah. Well, whether there's two willing combatants. When there's two willing combatants, very seldom would I give an instigator. Very, unless it's that 
situation where I said where he's skating from one end of the ice to the other and he's like dropping the gloves on the way because then I have no other choice but to drop the gloves. Then, okay, sure, you get an instigator there. But when both guys are there and the gloves come off at relatively the same time, I don't know how you're handing out instigators like they're candy on Halloween. I think that we could make some progress in this regard by getting stiffer on the penalties for, let's say, for example, the original hit that led to the fight when the guy got smoked from behind. If we're, if we're tougher on that, if we're, if we're tougher on the things that are happening after the whistle, the stick work, all of these different things, if we get stricter on that so it's removed like fighting has been, maybe we make some progress on this file. But, you, you know, you bring up an interesting point on how much discretion there is in the eyes of the referees, and, and we should talk to one of the officiating supervisors next time we see them at the ring, because I'd love to know how much leeway they have on that as officials. i also like to know if there's a bonus of how many minutes you give out a year. There's not. Are you sure? I hope not. There better not be. <laughs> Stop it. Don't even put that idea uh, in people's I'm heads. Just Come on. I got no problem with it. Anyway, Come on. Um... <laughs> I could go on for days on this. I really could. Anyway, uh, you had a really good opportunity. We we obviously cover the OHL as much as we can and the CHL and bring you all the hot topics, but there was a big sledge hockey game in Elmira the other day, and you had a chance to talk to Team Canada's captain. I loved it. And the thing is, we're you're right. We get so busy, and this is the thing. Like, we love what we do. We love this league. 68 games a year keeps you pretty busy. I want to support as much local... We both do. I know we do. We want to support as much local hockey as we can. We've had Lauren Gable on our broadcasts, a women's hockey player. She's going to play. She's going to be a Canadian Olympian. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. Right out of Kitchener. Uh, we we follow minor hockey. We're going to... you know, I could go on and on. We do the best that we can, but we're so busy with our own that we can't get to every single game. But it was fantastic that it was uh, kind of like a an Olympic tune-up. You get Team Canada and Team USA going at it in a sledge hockey tournament, a mini two-game two series they played at the Woolwich Memorial Arena. And, yeah, we got to catch up with uh, Team Canada captain Tyler McGregor to talk to him about life in sledge hockey. Anytime we, we get the opportunity to play the, the U.S., especially at home, um, it, it's something that we, we really look forward to. And, and as a national team, we don't get the opportunity to play enough games. And so we're, we're pumped to, to be here for the week and, and, and to be able to play at home. Can you take us back to that moment in time, Tyler, when you're 16 years old and you realize that you're going to be losing a leg to cancer? You talked already about falling in love with the game of hockey at the age of three. So from three until 16, you're playing like most other kids would play the game. And all of a sudden you realize that if you're even to play the game again, it's going to be much different. What, what was your mindset like? at that point in your life? I mean, initially it was a state of shock. Um, it was, it was a heartbreaking situation. I was in my minor major triple a year. Um, and my, my amputation was on my, the day of the OHL draft. And it was, uh, it was challenging. And I, I, I can't sit here and pretend like I was just this epitome of, or this, this beacon of positivity throughout the whole thing. But I knew that my, my career in hockey, whatever that looked like was, was far from over, um, you know, to that point in my life, it was, it was my identity. Um, you know, when you're a young teenage 
teenage kid, that's all that you think about. And so, you know, I, it was a challenge initially, but as I said, um, I knew my career would look different for, I will admit for a short time, I, I, I did think I would, I'd become the first above knee amputee to play in the NHL until I, until I tried to skate, um, as a, with a prosthetic leg and realized how challenging it was. Um, but I was lucky to, to have so many great people around me, obviously my immediate family. Um, but that was my first experience really, or, you know, the first time I was mature enough to, to realize and understand the power of, uh, of the hockey community and how, how incredible the people are and how gracious and, and kind they are. Um, because, you know, at one point or another, um, I have my, the hockey team I played at on, they were all in the hospital together. At one point there was a, a London team that all came in to visit me, Elgin, um, you know, Kitchener, pretty much every team in our league at least sent me a card or came to visit or, or did something. And for me, you know, when you're down and out, like that's the stuff that, that, that seems small, but it's so important. And, you know, I was lucky to have those people around me to, to, to kind of soften the blow of, of everything that was going on. And, and I think that's the reason I was, I was able to, to get through it and, and to, you know, continue to pursue my dream of playing hockey. When you do play the game to the level that you played it, Tyler, with, you know, the OHL draft right around the corner, as you mentioned, dreams of playing in the National Hockey League, obviously there's a level of skill that's developed in those 13 years from 3 to 16, and stuff just comes to you through instinct when you're on the ice. What was the transition like for you going from, if I may put it this way, an able-bodied hockey player to a sledge hockey player? Yeah, and I certainly agree with you because because of that those experiences, I was able to to transition much quicker than than I think I would have been able to otherwise. And so, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head with um, you know all your instincts are the same. Um, you do have to make certain adjustments in terms of of the physical skill set. Um, obviously, sledge hockey is a sport that's played with just your your upper body, and so there's some differences in terms of learning to shoot skate and pass um and, and trying to do that all at once with your with your hands um it's, so little things like that and, and just making some small adjustments to to timing um and just being in the right spots trying to find open ice trying to create space um in the offensive zone um you know there's some little intricacies like angling is is much different as we can't skate we can't skate backwards in a sled. And so um, adjusting to all those things took a little bit of extra time, but the instincts are there and the work ethic, all the, all the values that growing up playing hockey in Canada that, that I was able to learn were, were transferable. And I think that that really made the transition e- easier. It was just a matter of, of building those skills um, and that that took some time, but but at the same time, when when you put it in perspective, it was also um, a very quick learning learning curve. For someone who is yet to experience a sledge hockey game up close, uh, what can we expect at the Woolwich Memorial Center this week? Well, I think you know when people see it live, um, 
it's a lot faster than than they expect. It, it's a lot more physical, um, and, and I think it'll just be you, you'll be impressed with the skill set and, and uh, that that all the players have. Uh, it's a you know that, that those are always the two first comments that I receive is is about how physical it is and and how how fa- how much faster it looks in person than, than it does on TV, um, especially at the. Uh, at the international level when you have two of the best teams playing head-to-head. How does it end up, Tyler, that this tournament, this two-game series, is happening in sleepy old Elmira here in the region of Waterloo? Well, we actually came here for a training camp uh, a couple months ago, and I guess, you know, they have a they have a, a sledge hockey team out of, uh, out of Woolwich um, that, you know, is, is, is incredible. Um Considering it is such a small a small town, but you know we we came here a couple of months ago and um, the they really enjoyed having us here. We really enjoyed our time here, and so we decided that you know we, since we're trying to squeeze in a few more games, that this was was a great location to come. It's an opportunity to engage with the small community, try to build their program, um, try and you know. Um, hopefully develop the sport in this part of the province and the country. And, um, you know, we're excited that, that we're able to, you know, show them the sport at its highest level and, and um, you know, maybe try to try to inspire some young kids that are, that are playing in the area to, to, um, to try and play for Team Canada someday and, and go to go to a world championships or a Paralympics and win a gold medal. Funny story about that sledge hockey. I was out at an establishment here in Waterloo. Just say it's a bar. We know what you mean. Kentucky bourbon and barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Having a couple pops um, after attending a pitch talks event here in town, uh, talking baseball down at Maxwell's. And uh, a couple name drops. You're welcome. No free ads. Hashtag. Uh, and I see a table of young gentlemen. I thought, you know, buy them a couple beers. So I sent over a couple beers to this table. And all of a sudden, this young man, I say young, he's older than me. Uh, he, he comes walking up, uh, and he says, hey, did you send over those beers? And we we got talking. I said, what are you, he's not from town. I said, what are you, uh, what are you doing out here? And uh, he was playing in the sledge hockey game, Billy Bridges. He won a uh, Paralympic gold, a silver, and a bronze, four world championship golds. He was the uh, youngest player ever to be picked to play on our uh, national team. Amazing it was crazy. Stuff. Yeah, we just had a great talk. So shout out to... Uh, to Billy for coming over and talking to us, and I hope you enjoyed the beers. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that chat with Tyler, a guy that, you know, Popper, we would have been probably at some point covering in this league, right? His yeah. his cancer happens in, in, as he's coming into his OHL draft year, 15-year-old kid, right? 15 going on 16, and then all of a sudden your your entire hockey trajectory changes. But here he is doing his thing for Team Canada as its captain, and hey, go Canada, go. Something I didn't know about my boy Billy. Guess who he married in 2011? Sammy Joe Small. Ha! Right? Talk about hockey royalty. There you go. Sammy Joe Small, two-time Olympic gold medalist as a goaltender. I loved Sammy Joe Small back in the day. Could have some anyway. uh, hockey playing babies coming out of that family. Oh, no I'd pressure. Say, holy cow. No pressure. Hey, listen, we've got some... Uh, actually, it's not our pressure. We're going to see how the Flint Firebirds live up to the pressure this weekend. At the time of recording, we're heading into the weekend where the Flint Firebirds are on a franchise record 13 
count them, 13-game winning streak. Their most recent was a 12-7 whooping of the Sarnia Sting when the Firebirds scored five in the first, five more in the second, and then put it in cruise control en route to their 13th in a row. There might be some uh, unfinished business for the Kitchener Rangers down in Flint because they did not have their strongest game. Going to have some fun, as we always do. The Dort awaits, Popper. As a reminder, follow us on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL and at underscore Chris Pope. You can send us an email anytime to farwellandpope at gmail.com. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.